10-5, touchdown, Arkansas State. Culver is safe. The Red Wolves have walked it off. Almir, coast to coast, lays it home with the right hand, and he's fouled. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you into the Thanksgiving week edition of the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Matt and Brad with you. A whole lot to talk about Mm -hmm. on this episode. A lot that happened this past weekend. A lot coming up this week as well. And we're trying to figure out how to attack this this week. But uh, I think the best thing to do is kind of go chronologically through the weekend and really it all got started Friday night and we had both A-State basketball teams in action you my friend were at First National Bank Arena for a pretty historic night well yeah significant um, in the fact that you know obviously Arkansas was in here but uh, you know what I love about that is that's always going to be a big game, but we're headed into an era where it's a big game for the same reason it's a big game anytime you play somebody from in the state. That's what's cool. First game of a four-year agreement to go home and home, and it started, you know, in Jonesboro. And you know, I, I talked with you know Mike Neighbors and Matt Daniel both last week, and you know, it was almost like they couldn't even remember necessarily who called who. It's just, and when the conversation started, as soon as it was put out there that Arkansas could schedule in-state schools, their conversation wasn't if, it was just when and where they were going to get this thing started. And so I, want to, I, I do want to say is that I fully understand the name of this podcast. But I, do, I, I think it's important for Arkansas State fans to know this. Mike Neighbors, the women's coach at Arkansas, is a, an Arkansas guy, a University of Arkansas alum, but he's an Arkansas guy and a University of Arkansas alum. And I'll tell you, he never understood, quote, the policy. He's talking before it's one of the few things he ever sort of disagreed with Frank Brawls about was not doing something about the policy of playing in-state schools. And I had him on the show last week, and you know, and he told me, he said, look, you know, they, they, they've already gone to Little Rock and played UALR before. They've come here now. He said, we'll go to UCA. We'll go to UAPB. At some point, we're going there. And he said, and I'll tell you what, sometime or another, talking about the A-State series, we're going to lose this game. He said, we might lose it Friday night. I don't know. But it's still what you do. And so uh, it's pretty – that program for sure has embraced it. And I would think – you know, I I think on their end, Hunter Yurichek being the AD because it doesn't get done if if he's not okay with it. But I think Dave Van Horn – and Mike Neighbors, from a coaching standpoint, are the two guys on the Arkansas end out front and kind of seeing this thing through. I'd agree with that. And they've been vocal about their support of playing in-state schools. And we've seen it already with the scheduling, not only this season, but in the coming years in both baseball and women's basketball. It had been 16 years since A-State had played Arkansas in women's hoops. And... It was scheduled to start at 7 o'clock on Friday night. And, you know, when you wait 16 years, you might as well wait <laughs> 20 minutes more. Yeah. There was a shot clock malfunction, 
and it caused the game to start about 20 minutes late and it ended up resulting in an administrative technical foul which you really don't see many of those yeah arkansas missed a free throw if not it would have been that rare game that was one nothing at the opening tip because they got you one free throw and so the game started with amber ramirez walking down to the far end and, and shooting a free throw missing it and then they went and did the jump ball but once you got the game going i mean i, I tell you i had so much fun calling that game I, I wish the shot clock thing wouldn't have happened and just look i, I was at shoot arounds on friday the shot clock was working mm-hmm. um so sometime in the afternoon, something went haywire, couldn't get it fixed in time. They took one last-ditch effort of swapping it out, and it didn't work, and that's what led the, to the delay. But that that was a fun ball game because both teams played well. A-State came out really playing good. And, and Michaela Daniels, Arkansas's point guard, sort of single-handedly kind of helped weather the storm. I think she might have scored 10 of their first 12 or something like that. She got them out of the gate when A-State had come out and was, was trying to hit them in the mouth a little bit. And, uh, you know, eventually the team with the deeper roster, the more length, I mean, they're, the length they've got that they can't put out there is, is really pretty impressive. And it just kind of won out over the end and just little little stretches. And uh, But it, it was a fun ball game. And I think fans on both sides, because there were plenty of both, you know, had a fun time in there Friday night. Arkansas wins 94-71 for the Red Wolves. Kia Patton, uh, 17 points in that one. And then, Trinity Jackson, I've talked to several people uh, over the course of the last few days and people who were at the game who came away really impressed with her play. And I was impressed watching her at Oklahoma the Friday before. She ended up with a double-double, 14 points, 16 rebounds. The women now 2-2, two and two, the, the two losses to Oklahoma and Arkansas. But overall, and I know you're included in this, uh, I think the thought around this women's program is it's been a, a very impressive yeah. start in a lot of ways yeah and i mean people are watching me you know, I, I talked with you know todd schaefer i mean just full disclosure for anybody who may not know todd schaefer is the associate head coach at arkansas and he's a good friend of mine because he was you know for two years the top assistant here at arkansas state back from 2011 to 2013 yeah i talked with him after the game not kind of before where it's coach speak just after the game chopping it up as buddies do and he said honey they're not bad they've got some good pieces i got a hard time believing right now there are nine teams in the Sun Belt better than them they're picked 10th in the league and i think it's large enough people just not knowing anything about them a lot of newcomers and it's a fun team to watch if you haven't seen them yet i would you know if you're an a-state fan you need to check this team out it was an announced crowd of just over 2500 you said it was every bit of yeah. that the other night if you told me it's 3500 my reaction to that was another boy they inflated that i said okay i mean it, it seemed every bit of that and it was a neat little side note for us on the broadcast end because you were calling the game on espn plus we had our own Cade carlton who is the new voice of the a-state women's uh-huh. broadcast and then will oswald who produces your show and does play-by-play for us as well ended up getting the call for the Arkansas women's broadcast. I'd got an email a few weeks ago and Learfield needed somebody to fill in for Phil Elson, who does the Arkansas women's broadcast normally. And Will Oswalt was 
who we decided to recommend to him, knew he'd do a great job. So we had three EAB announcers calling all of the broadcasts yeah. the other night. And that is that is a cool little twist there and interesting the way that worked out. But yeah, so we had uh, we had it surrounded from all sides. Meanwhile, because you had Will calling the Arkansas side, you had Cade calling the A State broadcast, and then me, Mister Down the Middle. Mister Down the Middle never been accused of being a homer. <laughs> Have you heard anything? No. no. And I, my stated goal, I told our producer this. And I said, "Look, my goal is at the end of the night, I've got zero Twitter notifications about this broadcast. Zero good, zero bad." Just zero. And you accomplished your accomplished goal. Accomplished that, yes. Congratulations. Thanks. That's a big feat, especially with an in-state broadcast. So you were there. I was up in Cape Girardeau with the A-State men taking on Southeast Missouri. And you and I sat here last week and talked about how this was really the first real measuring stick of the season for the Red Wolves. That's because they had played three games to this point. They played two home games that – they should win against Harding and Central Baptist. They took care of business there. They went on the road and they played a top 10 team in Illinois. So now you you finally go on the road. You play a SEMO team that's in a, a like conference, a team that was picked fourth in the Ohio Valley this year. You kind of thought going in, we're going to learn a lot about this team. And it was a good night. You know, the Red Wolves were up six at the half. It was 39-33 and then really just pulled away in the second half, led by double digits almost the entire second half, and they end up winning it 72-60. to To give, you know, people an idea of, you know, we said it was sort of a toss-up game. I told you this Saturday. A-State, from a betting standpoint, was about a two-point favorite, one-and-a-half, two points, somewhere in there. But if you looked at this game through ESPN's matchup predictor, that they if you click on a game in the ESPN app, they use this computer model to come up with the matchup predictor, percentage odds each team would win. I've never seen this before in any game. The matchup predictor gave each team a fifty point zero percent chance of winning. You never see that. No, anymore. I mean you could be it might be fifty and a half to forty nine and a half, but I've, it was literally fifty <laughs> fifty on uh, their matchup predictor going in. There was no doubt who the better team was when the game was over. A-State got it done defensively. That was a SEMO team that was scoring in the 80s and 90s, their first couple of games. They were shooting around 50% on the season. A-State held them to 36% shooting. Caleb Fields was fantastic at the point. He finished with 16 points, 7 assists, 6 boards. Norshad O'Meara with his 17th career double-double finished with 18 and 12. And the most encouraging thing there for Norshad was he was able to limit the fouls in the second half. And really that had been the issue the previous two games. He had fouled out of the games against Illinois and Central Baptist. And he had combined for like 25 minutes in those two yeah. games. And it was something that he and Coach Bellato had talked a lot about leading up to the game on Friday, just not going overboard as far as trying to block shots instead of putting your arm forward, staying straight up, and limiting the fouls that that you can. And I thought he was very much in control. Now, he picked up two fouls in nine minutes in the first half. They weren't overly aggressive fouls. And then in the second half, he played 18 minutes and committed just one foul. So that was good to see. 
him play well and play under control. And then Avery Feltz, who we thought was going to be out until December, was uh, another good thing from this game. He had a, a pretty bad ankle injury, we thought, against Harding in the season opener. He had missed the previous two games before SEMO. He came in, played 20 minutes off the bench. He was three of four from three, and he's really one of the better defenders yeah. on this team right now, too. You're back to North Shadow. He's the preseason player of the year in the league, and so the film gets out that all of a sudden he can't stay out of foul trouble. Well, guess what? There's no reason for every opponent early in the game to not just go right at him. When there's it's kind of a free roll to see if this will be the night you get him in foul trouble. When all he's got to learn is that guess what? If you stand straight up and then turn around and get every rebound, it's the same as blocking the shot. And he adjusts a lot of shots without blocking them. Yeah. Too. So A State gets an impressive win on the road, seventy-two to sixty. They're now three and one on the season. That was. Friday night. A-State football was in action on Saturday, and we'll talk about their contest at Georgia State right after this here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. You raised your family here. Did every July 4th here refinished the floors here twice? Sized up your daughter's boyfriends here? Waited in the doorway all day when your son was coming home on leave? This place has given you all you've dreamed of, and now it's giving again in the form of a gourmet kitchen and the quietest dishwasher known to man. Realize your dream with a home equity line of credit from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. So Friday night was a late night. We talked about the basketball games. You got out of First National Bank Arena late. Mm -hmm. I drove back from Cape Girardeau on Friday night to Jonesboro. Got in about 11.45, took a quick shower, went to bed. The alarm went off at 3.55 in the morning. And you and I met at the radio station at 4.30 Saturday morning to make our quick trip to Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, we did. Quick is right, because the upside of leaving town at 4.30 in the morning, you don't got to fight the traffic. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Smooth sailing on into Memphis International for a 7 a.m. flight to Atlanta. And with these trips, and we'll we'll take an episode of this podcast at some point and kind of go through some of the crazier trips that we've had. And a lot of them come during this crossover time in November when football and basketball are, are both going on and we're trying to get everything covered. But look, it, it went really smooth here. We ended up catching a 7 o'clock flight out of Memphis. We get to Atlanta couldn't have gone smoother there. Walked straight to the baggage claim. As you mentioned when we got there, it didn't even break stride. Went straight to the baggage carousel. We picked up the bag, got our Uber driver who was four minutes away. We walked to the spot. As we get there, he's coming around the corner. We hop right in, go to the stadium, which is 10 minutes away. And after taking off in Memphis at 7 a.m., we are in our booth at Center Park Stadium in Atlanta at 9 o'clock Central Time and getting set up for the football game. Very thankful that it was as smooth as it was. Now, it's a very unique setup. This is Center Park Stadium now, but most people still remember it as Turner Field, the home of the Atlanta Braves. And we're set up in the Braves' old home radio booth which is great it's right behind home plate what used to be home plate Mm -hmm. 
And if you're calling a baseball game, it's fantastic. But in this setup, <laughs> you are in the corner of the end zone, which makes it really hard yeah. on a play-by-play person like myself to try to tell exactly where the ball's at, especially when it gets on the other end of the field. Yeah, you got to think about it. You're wondering, you know, well, what's tough about that? Picture being in a corner of the end zone in the field, the angle it's going, and just picture looking at a football field from beyond the corner of the end zone. I think that half the time the action's going away from you. Yeah. You know, there's a reason, Is even though it's a dumb expression, there's a reason those radio guys say moving left to right on your radio <laughs> dial because they're sitting with everything right in front of them. It's going left to right. It is a big challenge. They did have a monitor there in the booth to where I I probably called most of the game off the monitor, but you're kind of dependent on the TV broadcast because a lot of the times they're showing replays or graphics and they won't cut back to the shot of the field until the play is starting or has already started. So as far as setting up the play, it's a challenge. But that was our setup there at Center Park Stadium. The Red Wolves taking on a a good Georgia State team who is trying to become bowl eligible on Saturday and got off to a a pretty decent start. Georgia State fumbled early on. A-State able to get the ball around midfield and they go down – They have to settle for a field goal, which they did a couple of times on Saturday. They're up three to nothing at that point. But then Georgia State comes back. They make it 14 to three. And you're hoping that A-State finds a way to get back in it. Kicking field goals really is a a theme sort of going back to the Lafayette game, because that's really about when games started getting close enough to really care whether you were scoring touchdowns or kicking field goals, if we're just being honest. Yeah. But that's been something that's that's bit a, a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, it, this was – you know, I said I had a lot of fun Friday night, and I did. This was a fun football game, too. And I know a lot of people define fun football games as, like, last year. It's going to be 59-52 to be fun. But, you know, there's, there's something to be said for defenses going out there and just trading blows and, you know, points being hard to come by. It was 14-3, to and this is a few minutes in to the second quarter. A-State facing third and 16 from their own 17-yard line, and not many plays you can draw up at that point, but it turned into one of the biggest plays you'll ever see on a screen pass. A-State from their own 17-yard line. They set up the screen. This ball's caught by Lincoln Perry across the 30, 35, 40. Perry across midfield. Lincoln Perry inside the 40, 30. Cuts left at the 20. He's inside the 10-5. Touchdown, Lincoln Perry. 83 yards on the screen pass on third and long, and Lincoln Perry takes it to the house. So Lincoln Perry goes 83 yards on that play, and Georgia State's lead cut to four. It's 14 to 10, and I thought the defense really settled in after that. There was a a sequence where Kevon Bennett and JoJo Azugu combined for a sack and then the very next play Kevon Bennett gets another sack yeah he really disrupted the game you know it was interesting because defense came out playing well got the early turnover got some stops going then Georgia State went on back-to-back I think both 11 play drives got to 14 and then the defense kind of went right back to to stringing some stops together again so the improvement on that side of the ball has been obvious uh those two defensive ends they just wreak havoc because one of them's always going to have a matchup to his favor. 
And that's what those guys have told me too. They don't know you don't know who, but they know one of them is going to have a matchup to their favor because you can't do enough to take them both out of a play. You got to pick your poison a little yeah. bit. You know, Kavon went through a, one series where he made every play. It, you know, forced a fumble in there. So anyway, it was, it, it's uh, it's been fun to watch the, this progression continue on defense. Last play of the half, Blake Groupie becomes A-State's all-time leading scorer, hitting from 36 yards out. He breaks the record held by Richie Woit, who played at A-State from 1950 to 1953. That was a 68-year-old record that Groupie broke. Made a joke on the broadcast that Robert Spear, who was down there, his former teammate's record got broken. And by that time, uh, halftime was over. Word had gotten to Robert about that because yeah. he, he came back out and told me that he didn't play with Richie Voigt, but that Ron Carroll was the trainer then. <laughs> well, with that field goal, though, it's, it's just a one-point game at the half, and you're, you're feeling pretty good. I mean, the Red Bulls were doing some really good things defensively. You knew A-State was getting the football to begin the second half, but nobody did anything offensively, it seemed, in that third quarter. In fact, it ended up being a scoreless quarter, and we had just seen a couple of scoreless quarters all season long and they happened to be in the same game yeah the only other two scoreless quarters were the first and fourth quarters against the Cajuns here on that Thursday night when all the scoring happened in what we figure about an 18 minute span or something like that so the third quarter Saturday became just the third scoreless quarter of the year Georgia State does score a couple of touchdowns in the fourth they go up 28 to 13 A-State was down 15. They're deep inside their own territory. They go for it on fourth down with a little over five minutes to go, and they come up short. And you think, game's over. Georgia State's going to run it out. But then, all of a sudden, A-State comes back to life as the defense comes up with a huge play. 440 remaining in the ball game. They set up here for the A-State 18. Throw it out right side. Caught by the tight end Carter, and he dropped it. A-State picks it up. Here come the Red Wolves across midfield. This is Kavon Bennett inside the 30, 20, 10. Kavon Bennett is into the end zone. So a little less than five minutes to go, Kavon Bennett, gets the scoop and score, and again, Malik Straker was the one who forced that fumble. Mm-hmm. It's 28-20 to 20 after the PAT. You're hoping the defense can get a stop, but just never got it back again. Georgia State runs out the final four-plus minutes, and there was an opportunity in there. Georgia State was facing a third and seven at one point. A-State had called timeout. If you get that stop, then the Red Wolves can get the football back and and still a couple of minutes to go down and, and try to find a way to get a touchdown mm-hmm. and a two-point conversion and force overtime. But credit to Georgia State. They're one of the best run teams in the nation. They're top 20 nationally in rushing. And that offensive line had all five starters back, and they found a way to get seven yards there and eventually run out the clock. They probably wish they just would have leaned on that offensive line of that run game one possession sooner than they decided to and i don't know why they didn't <laughs> i mean to do what they did I, and it know. wasn't like they threw it deep in their defense they're gonna say all we did was throw a little pass in the flat and the other guy ended up fumbling it but at the time we're off the air saying i, I can't believe they put the football in the air and they you know they paid a, what at the time was a pretty steep price for it 
Still, A-State was in it until the very end. Uh, Georgia State wins 28-20. to Thought the defense just continued to show improvement. Some guys in particular that stood out. JoJo Azugu had nine tackles. Kavon Bennett had six tackles. One and a half sacks. He had the scoop and score. He was also credited with the forced fumble. And then Malik Straker, what a story he is. Here's a 180-pound linebacker that is out there getting 14 tackles. He also had two tackles for a loss, including that forced fumble that that created the scoop and score. And just uh, 11 of those 14 were what? In about the first quarter and a half of the game? Yeah. So he was all over the place. This is such an interesting story because it's basically just a guy that was down hanging out with his brother at at Alabama and somebody saw him working out and called the A-State coaches and said, this dude may be worth looking at. And he's from Canada. And I want to get a chance to interview him at some point very soon because he's a great story. He's a guy that I'm told wakes up at 5 o'clock every morning. He's always writing things down. If somebody says something interesting, he writes it in whatever he's carrying around, a journal or whatever notebook that he has. But Butch Jones says he's quickly turning into one of the team leaders out there. Yeah, cool story, and the good news is, you know, hopefully he's going to be around a while, and man, I don't care who it was. It just happened to be Malik Stryker, but bottom line is it was cool seeing linebackers making plays, and, and they were. Caleb Bonner made a lot of plays Saturday. Charles Willickus, who's a walk-on transfer from Michigan State, ended up with 10 tackles the other day, and you know his brother Kenny was an All-American at Michigan State, and he's now playing in the NFL, but... Charles has been playing quite a bit the last couple of weeks as well. So good to hear some of these newer guys that are on the roster that that really didn't play much in the first half of the year starting to have an impact on a defense that is playing much better. And I know you came up with a stat, too. Back-to-back games on the road in which A-State has held opponents to under 30 points. Yeah, and uh, the last time that happened was 2018, where really, you go back and look at that 2018 team, it actually held the last five opponents of the year under 30, including the bowl loss to Nevada, because that was 16-13 in overtime. So Yeah, that defense was really playing well. You may want to say, well, gosh, under 30, is that a big deal? Well, the way people play offense these days, That's yeah, good enough under to win. 30 gives you a chance to win. So, A-State falls short, and Georgia State, that's five out of six for them. They're bowl eligible for the fifth time in seven years. Sean Elliott does a great job with yeah. that program, and, and you got to remember, too, they're in just their 12th year of existence, just their eighth season as a full-time FBS member, they've got a lot going right for them. Now, I will say this, they've got a lot of seniors and super seniors on that team. And it'll be interesting to see how they transition in the next year. But they've done a good job against a really tough schedule, finding a way to become bowl eligible once again. You know what I said? They've, they're the only team in the country that played four ranked teams on the road this year? Yeah, only FBS team in the country that has done that. And they won one of those games a couple of weeks ago they when they went they into Coastal Carolina. They yeah. tell you they won the Auburn game too. They were leading with a minute to go in that game, but ended up falling short at Auburn. But still one game to go this season for Butch Jones' team. We'll talk about that when we come back to wrap things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Your first home is like this dream. The day you walk in, the sun seems to shine more brightly. The ceilings, they just seem taller. 
And you'll never fix that creaky floorboard because it sounds like comfort. What a hug would sound like if it made a sound. And that's when you realize you're home. Really, really home. Realize your dream with a home loan from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC equal housing lender subject to credit approval. Do want to mention the A-State volleyball team saw their season come to an end this past week at the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. They fell to Georgia State in the opening round in four sets. They dropped the first two in that match, especially the second one tight. They came back one to third set and then dropped a tight fourth set. They were trying to pull off what they did at home against Little Rock the week before, dropping the first two and come back and win the match. And we do that, obviously your margin for error is none. It's just a point or two here or there making the difference, and that was the difference in the fourth set. And Ended up ending their season. So the volleyball season is over. Meanwhile, women's basketball with a really busy week. They are in a stretch of four games in seven days. And, you know, it started at SEMO on Monday night. And this podcast coming out on Tuesday. So tonight they will be hosting the University of the Ozarks at First National Bank Arena. And then this weekend, Matt Daniels' team is going to be in Tulsa, taking on Oral Roberts Saturday at 2, and then playing again uh, in Tulsa against Abilene Christian Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. Yeah, busy stretch, including you you just don't see that very often, back-to-back days in two different places. Going on the road Monday night, coming home Tuesday night to play. It's an NBA-type schedule. Two back-to-backs in the same week. Playing hard work you on Tuesday night, the University of the Ozarks. (laughs) <laughs> That's a unique setup there at that school. That's what they call themselves because basically students work to pay their way. There's all these different jobs you can do. And anyway, and by the way, if you ever get up there, uh, they have a phenomenal Sunday brunch at the University of the Ozarks. I didn't know you, you knew so much about the <laughs> University of the Ozarks. Again, uh, they'll be in Tuesday. That's the lone home game during this four-game and seven-day stretch for women's basketball. Meanwhile, the men's team, with a big weekend coming up, they're hosting the Eracism Invitational Friday and Sunday. And this is kind of sandwiched around the football game on Saturday. But you take on Moorhead State Friday at 7, and then Kansas City Sunday at 3. And we talked about the SEMO game being a good measuring stick. I think you can throw these games certainly in that same discussion because Moorhead State a year ago went 23-8. and They won the Ohio Valley Conference Tournament. Most of that squad is back, so this will be a good test for them. Coming up on Friday and then Sunday at 3, you take on a Kansas City team that just last week went into Missouri and defeated them 80-66. to So not only won, but won pretty handily against yeah. an SEC opponent. Yeah, this will be two good ones in Hopefully, I understand it's the holiday weekend, but it'd be great if some A-State fans could, once from out of town, maybe have a way to come make a weekend out of it because uh, it's uh, you know three games in three days that hopefully have a good crowd for all of them, obviously including the football game Saturday at 1. So the last football game of the year, two good basketball games surrounding it. Makes for what should be a fun weekend. And as far as the football game is concerned, A-State hosting Texas State. Season finale Saturday at 1. Coverage begins at 11 on the radio side. You can also see that game on ESPN+. Plus. You'll have the call over 
on ESPN+. Plus. Final game for 11 seniors. E.J. Alexander, Caleb Bonner, Jeff Mario Brown, Pili Tuatavake, Jojo Azugu, Ivory Scott, Noradine Sednali, Ross Painter, Alan Lamar, Dahu Green, and Jacob Still all being honored before the game. And do want to mention Jacob this past Saturday made his school record 52nd career start. And we've said it before, and I'll say it again, even if you don't know it, because he's an offensive lineman and those guys, you know, I think being an offensive lineman is the definition of servant leadership. You're in the most physical position, the most contact on the field, and there's not a stat in the world attributed to your play. It's all about producing stats for other people. But if you're an Arkansas State fan, even if you don't know it, Jacob Steele ought to be your favorite player. Have absolutely loved having that guy around during his tenure at A-State and uh, love the way he competes. Just the, the love that he has for Arkansas State University is so apparent because you know, this is a guy that walks around in a jumping Joe cap half the time. I mean, he's just embraced everything that is Arkansas State University, and you can tell he's loved his time here. So uh, go out, send off those 11 seniors on Saturday, get there early for the senior day ceremonies, and then this is a chance to go into the offseason on a winning note. And if you win Saturday, that's two out of three to wrap up the year. Plus, you played – well against a a good Georgia State team in between, you would think this would really create some positive momentum going into the offseason. And, of course, uh, this coaching staff is, in the meantime, recruiting really, really hard, getting ready for that early signing day period on December 15th. Crazy the time this bunch spends on recruiting, and that's been since they walked in the door. But you make a really good point. If you can go get this one Saturday, you'd end up winning two of your last three sandwiching a road game where you gave yourself a chance to beat a team that's going to be in a bowl. So, I mean, given where we've been over the course of this season, you really have a chance to end it kind of feeling pretty good about where things are heading. You know, because it is a holiday week, I don't know if you're in a festive mm-hmm. mood or not or if there's still something that you need to get off your chest. No, I would just say this. First of all, 1A state note, I want to congratulate Lexington Hilton because yeah. he went to the NCAA cross-country national championship and broke his own school record he set the record in the regional to get to the national race and then broke his own record at the nationals highest finish for him that an a-state man or woman has ever had in the ncaa championship so congratulations congratulations and really not in way of the rant just a, a statement of fact is that if you believe ham should be featured at the thanksgiving table over turkey we can't be friends, uh, whoever you are out there. You're a traditionalist. Yeah, hey, I don't remember the pilgrims having a big ham sitting in the middle of the table. Go, go back to your children's decorations. Now, does that mean you prefer turkey over ham, or you just prefer tradition over going away from it? All of the above. I okay. prefer turkey over ham. All right. And it's... White meat or dark? White, mostly, but I don't care. Thanksgiving is for turkey period i mean like how many people go around drive around your neighborhood if anybody's got thanksgiving decorations up there's not a person out there with an inflatable pig in their yard not a one (laughs) well given the choice i'm going to take the ham but with thanksgiving dinner yes i will eat turkey and i will take the dark meat there you go see we'd both be happy 
I hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving wherever you may be celebrating. Of course, uh, we hope you are out there at First National Bank Arena and Centennial Bank Stadium coming up on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Really busy week for A-State Athletics coming up. We appreciate you joining us. As always, you've been listening to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.